anyway, so I'm wearing this for my wife, mostly. Uh, she says I have a uh, history of tailing off at the end of my sentences. And when I wear a lapel mic, I'm doing this, and it's just up and down. So she has she learned uh, pastoral critique from her mom, and so she's she's very she's very good at it. Just critique in general, she's very good at. It. I will I would just say that. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Lord, for giving me a wife. Anyway, I I thought as I was preparing this week with the masks and all that. Why don't I just wear a mask and then play a Billy Graham sermon and just swing my arms around a little bit? I mean, I've heard it's really easy to be a ventriloquist now. I mean, if really anybody could do it. So how about a preacher with the mask on? That should work. But anyway, let's open your Bibles back up to um, the passage Tom read a while ago in Luke. And... Um, we're coming at the idea of thankfulness from a little different angle today. Um, so I titled this The High Cost of Ungratefulness. And um, we're going to talk about um, three different things. Ungratefulness in our current um, society. And ungratefulness right out of the pages of Scripture. And then ungratefulness right here in this room, maybe. And on Zoom. We're going to leave those. We're going to include them in, in, in that message, too. Um, so we always talk about thank- thankfulness this time of year. It's just natural at the time of Thanksgiving to talk about being thankful. But I don't have to tell you, thankfulness is not a November Christian phenomenon. It's a it's a bedrock uh, idea of our faith. It's so woven into our our music and our our thoughts and our speech uh, that it's really not anything that can be separated from our from our faith. It's kind of like the cross. We don't just talk about the cross at Easter time. That's that's really part and parcel of what we believe. I mean, you could almost ask the question, and I would I would ask this. I don't know the answer to this for sure, but can you truly grasp grace and not be thankful? I mean, if you're not thankful, do you really get it, or do you really understand the the sacrificial death of Christ and not feel thankfulness? It's it seems impossible to me. Anyway, we got this magazine this week from um, Children's Relief International, Jackson and Blessings organization, and they always have their little page. You see the little GKA kids with their with their uniforms on. Um, but they understand the importance of thankfulness. Uh, just a couple of paragraphs from this. At Grace and Knowledge Academy in high school, students learn the importance of gratitude. is the first thing they actually mentioned. Uh, the value of hard work and the knowledge that God always cares for them. And later on it says, Jackson and Blessing are equipping their students to break the cycle of poverty. They're teaching them not just the ABCs, but to work hard, to be thankful, and to know God's love. And you think about that, these little kids have almost nothing. Um, they live in little, they sleep on the floor, I think, in little dirt houses and uh, come to school and get their one good meal of the day and have these uniforms that are provided for them and otherwise just tattered clothes. Um, but they drive home how important it is to be thankful for that. And I think that's just so, that's just so cool. Um, so with Thanksgiving, um, you know, we understand Thanksgiving with with thanks. There are two people involved, right? There's two persons. So if I said thank you, you say, right? And if I say gracias, you say, nice, good. So even in Mexico, they know that thankfulness is a two-way street. Um, 
I say even in Mexico. Maybe they got it better than we do. But So there's a thanker and a thankee, I was thinking. And then my spell checker caught both of those words. Those aren't real words. But you get what I mean. There has to be someone who's thanking and someone who's receiving that thanks. But I think our, our society has lost that. I think mankind tends to change that because if we're thankful to someone, then we have to acknowledge that, that we were inadequate on our own, that we um, received something from somewhere else. And so um, there's this idea of just transforming thank, thanksgiving into kind of this amorphous um, thought. And uh, and I think in general, and I think you'll agree with me, maybe not, but I feel like we live in an, in an age of ingratitude. Um, you just think about those um, those GKA kids with how little they have, yet every time you get a little note from them, they're thankful, thankful, thankful for, for what you're doing, the opportunity you're giving them. But here in America, we're just, what? You know, we're just like, we're entitled to this. Um, it's really It's really kind of sickening when you think about it. Um, you know, for, for, for Americans, Thanksgiving has become what? It's just basically a four-day weekend, which is great. It's um, football and hunting and lots of food and women preparing for Black Friday. And, and uh, you know, it's really very little, little about um, uh, being thankful to God. I mean, that's almost been lost on our culture. And um, so Thanksgiving is really just kind of this idea that things are going well, that we have a pretty good life, and that's kind of what it's become. It's, kind of, it's a lot like faith. You know, if, if you hear someone say, just have faith, um, we know that that means that there has to be an object of our faith. Faith isn't just a feeling. Uh, that's not how it's used. Faith is just this general idea that things are going to get better. Um, um, it's just kind of a sense of optimism and so forth. So anyway, um, this year has been uh, something else, hasn't it? We are never going to um, forget this year. And I was thinking if, if Franklin Delano Roosevelt was around, he would say this is a year that will live in infamy, 2020. We won't forget this one. Uh, between the pandemic and, and here in America, the, the political polarization that's just not resolved and has no sign of ever uh, being resolved. And then just all the chaos. The, the nightly news is just hard to watch every night with all the uh, chaos in the streets and the um, – you know, just the uh, disrespect towards police officers and so so forth. Um, so over the last few years, we've been treated on Sunday afternoons to um, multimillionaires kneeling on the sideline during our national anthem, and um, and not getting into the fact that there are legitimate uh, racial issues. I, I don't deny that at all. But I know uh, to see um, football players who have had every, I mean, they're living the dream that, that Sid and I dreamed of, you know. I mean, who didn't want to be an NFL football player someday? Uh, but we were a little short on talent and the size and strength and everything, just a million things that we were short on. Uh, yeah. But uh, he was fast at least. Yeah. So anyway, um so they have, they've, you know that they've had since high school, they've had the adulation of their classmates. I mean, you know, they walked the halls and they were the cool guys and same in college and now they're making multi-million dollar deals and yet there just seems to be this disrespect, uh, this lack of gratitude for the for a, a society that gave them that opportunity. And, and this year it became almost universal. This year it became almost impossible, I thought, to watch sports. I just had a hard time. I really didn't watch hardly any this year. I think I watched one quarter of 
NBA basketball this year because I just couldn't stomach it. Um, so it really, it really just turned into um, just ingratitude on parade, really. And then we turn on the TV at night and we see this violence that I alluded to earlier, and um, just uh, just out in the streets breaking windows. Um, you know, when you read about Antifa and you think about what they stand for and the people, I know that's not like a specific organization, but there just seems to be this disdain for our country and everything that's been uh, provided. And you just think about that. Just think about even a 100 years ago uh, how what a person's life was around here, how much of your day was just spent um, making food or growing food and preparing food and staying warm and bringing coal in to stay warm and, and uh, you know, work in the fields. And now, you know, uh, oh, and, 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 and people rarely traveled anywhere. You know, our vacations were to Oklahoma City. I know that. Uh, we didn't really go anywhere besides that much. But, um, but I'm talking about the generation earlier who worked so hard. Um, and then just the knowledge of the outside world was just what you read in books. Um, there really wasn't access to a lot of things unless you went to a library or so forth. But now food's plentiful. You stick it in the microwave. You can have just about anything you want. You adjust the thermostat to stay warm. Uh, you've got China clothes at Walmart that are cheap and almost free. And, and um, you know, teenagers go on trips now um, that we can only imagine. You know, they did it on someone else's dime, I'm guessing. But um, but anyway, and then there's all the entertainment, all the, everything you want right there in your pocket on your iPhone. You just get it out and look it up, watch any movie you want and so forth. So we really have it. I mean, it's just, I, I think we, it's hard to even imagine how good it is. And yet, there's just this lack of appreciation for that and just this idea of victimhood uh, that's really kind of pounded into, into our society these days. These kids growing up, it's just pounded into them. And when they get to college... You know, I read somewhere where a lot of Antifa people were college graduates. Um, But I think maybe that's the problem. Um, And I I had a little uh, paragraph here from a guy named Victor David Hansen. You may know of him. But he said said this about the current college experience. He said, a pernicious cycle begins even before student enrolls. A typical college admission application is loaded with questions to the high school applicant about gender, equality, and bias rather than about math, language, or science achievements. How have you suffered rather than what you know and wish to learn seems to be more important for admission. The therapeutic mindset preps the student to consider himself a victim of cosmic forces, past and present, despite belonging to the richest, most leisured, and most technologically advanced generation in history. and I don't want to oversimplify it, because it probably isn't that simple, but you could almost say that the the root issue of a lot of what we see is ingratitude. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be an appreciation for not only the, the men and women who fought and gave their lives in wars uh, to preserve our our society, our country, but all the hard work that went in to get to where we are today. There's just no gratitude there. And the suffering from that's great, and it's not over. It's just going to get worse and worse. I, I don't think the election brought an end to um, the unrest that's out there. And then as far as any acknowledgement of God, that all of these good things came from God, there's just none of that. I mean, that's, that's just uh, not anything you hear about. So, so um, I, just, I think the idea of ungratefulness um, 
there's a deeper issue there, and I really think it's how people perceive themselves. And I was thinking of Romans 1 today. You guys all know the Romans 1 passage, um, really kind of how God gave them over. God gave them over, how um, the depraved mind led to this and that. And you know how it ends. It ends with um, to do things that are not proper, um, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. Very much a description, you know, right out of the, you know, right out of the newspaper today. Uh, but when you go back to the beginning of that passage, how it starts, what led to that, um, that behavior starts with uh, the fact that they knew about God. It says they clearly know about God. How can you not know that there's a God? Uh, but that truth was suppressed in their minds. And then the very next thing that was said uh, by Paul in this letter was, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him, and they did not give thanks. And so you see you see that ingratitude right off the bat, that they not only uh, didn't acknowledge God, but they definitely were not thankful to God. So it's a bad deal. Um, it is really a, a mindset that leads to tragedy. Um, so let's look at our passage today, and we're going to see another example of this right out of the pages of Scripture. So um, let's read through this again real quickly, uh, Luke 17, 11 through 19. Um, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, and he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that they went. And they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Um... Uh, pastor asked me if I was going to go into detail about uh, um, leprosy. No, I'm not going to. Um, there's been books written on that, and there's some good stuff on it. Someday, if you want to hear about it, I'll do it. But um, for now, you understand this position that a leper was in. I think everyone that grows up hearing Scripture understands that a leper not only was physically in bad shape, but he was alone and ostracized. It was basically incurable. That was his life from now on. All of the social interactions were gone. Um, And the people back in the village looked at them as being under some kind of divine judgment that they deserved what they got. And so that went along with it. So what did they want? What did these men want when they cried out to to Jesus? Um, Well, they wanted to be healed of leprosy, and that's pretty straightforward. So they, they cried out and called him Master, Um, And they called him by his name. Uh, Master was a term of respect, and it was an acknowledgement that Jesus had potentially the ability to help them because they cried out uh, to have mercy on them. And and when you look up that phrase, have mercy, it's just an acknowledgement, really, that one is in a pitiful condition, a condition he has no power on his own to reverse, um, and he can do nothing. He just depends on someone else to 
bail him out of that situation. So that's what they were asking, and that's very clear. And I, and I think this this is one of the probably one of the best known stories. This is one that we all grew up with on flannel graphs and so forth. It's an easy one to tell. It's uh, it's straightforward. There's not a lot of little secret uh, hidden meaning in it. Uh, so it's something that even the younger the youngest folks and the older folks can can get something out of. But um, so there was this recognition Jesus was the someone above them. And and I love the way this story plays out because I think it's just such an example of the understatement of Scripture. That Scripture just says this happened and doesn't make a big deal. Like someone has said, you know, the, the ultimate one was, and God made the stars too. You know, I think that's the ultimate understatement probably. But, um, but it's throughout Scripture. Uh, all Jesus did, he didn't say, he didn't put on a big show, he didn't do anything dramatic. He didn't actually as far as we know he didn't even get near these guys. He just said, Go show yourself to the priest. That's all he said. And um and that was not unusual. Um there was another uh healing of a leper back in chapter five. Uh you remember this guy who came and said, If you're willing, you can cleanse me and Jesus said, I'm willing and he touched him and then he told him, uh, don't tell anyone, go show yourself to the priest and offer sac- the sacrifices Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And so um, this was Mosaic law. That was what they were supposed to do: was go to the priest and go through that process of uh, being cleansed and reinstated. So it says they turned and went. Uh, so you would have to say a little bit. All ten of them showed a list, a little bit of obedience there, maybe a little bit of faith that they didn't, you know, they didn't go, "Come on, heal us." You know, they actually did what he asked them to do. They turned and started heading heading toward the headed toward the uh, priest. So maybe that's a little bit of faith. We don't know. Um, but then this understatement, as they were going, they were cleansed. And I was just thinking, well, if you were writing a histo- one of those historical fiction books, this, this story kind of screams out for a good historical fiction book. But you would definitely put a whole chapter on that, those three words, I think. You know, as they're walking away and they're looking at each other and go, hey, we don't have leprosy anymore. I mean, that, what, a, what an amazing realization that would have been. Um, to be healed from what they thought was something incurable. Um, so that's really all we know about the nine. That's actually where the story ends right there. We don't know one more thing, one more thing about them. But the one we do, and uh, just a little excerpt from a, a sermon preached on this. The one, he understood the real implications of what had just happened. And what is that? He had been in the presence of God, and he wanted more than physical healing. He went back embracing the full potential of getting from God what he knew he really needed. His heart was longing for a relationship with the divine healer. He wanted to give himself to that divine healer. He wanted to fall on his face beneath that divine healer as a recognized sinner and worship and adore him as well as praise him and thank him. He wanted something more than just a physical healing. He knew enough about the Old Testament to know that God was not just a healer but a redeemer, and primarily a redeemer and a savior. He's not content with just the physical. He understands the reality of his alienation and need for reconciliation to God. So I thought about this a lot, and I was thinking, if you had an incurable disease, and all of a sudden you were cured of it, but then you realized, that's God over there. That's the creator of the universe that just did that. All of a sudden, your disease would like be not that big a deal anymore, right? I mean, if you really grasp that, a disease is kind of a minor thing when the creator of the universe is standing 20 feet away or whatever it was. And um, and I think over time, 
you would start to recognize that, you know, my leprosy was actually what led me to Jesus. I mean, that's kind of a kind of a big deal. Um, I was reading um, um, Johnny Erickson Tata's testimony, and I can't, I would have read it to you, but I'll turn into Brian Whitson up here, and I'll just start crying. I mean, it's just very touching. But she talks about her wheelchair. I'll tell as much of it as I can, and I'll just go on. But, um, you know, she hated that wheelchair. I mean, that was a symbol of, of her uh, quadriplegia. And she said at one point, um, she can't wait until she goes to heaven and her wheelchair goes to hell. And then, um, but she came to realize that she actually wanted to take that wheelchair to heaven. You know, so I have to stop there. You guys go read. John Erickson Tata, wheelchair, okay? Look it up. <laughs> anyway, it's very, it's very touching. Um, so I'll stop there. But anyway, so what about the nine? Well, now we speculate a little bit. Uh, so let me ask you this question. When Jesus said, where are the nine? So was he fishing for a compliment there? Is that what he was doing? Um, did it hurt his feelings that just one of them came back and said thank you? Um, this made me think of a, um, a birthday party that Sue and I went to a couple of weeks ago. A little five-year-old girl in Stillwater. Hallie knows her. Uh, you might know who I'm talking about, right? Curly hair. Um, I'm not picking on her because it's like every little kid birthday party I've ever been to. But this is how it plays out. So you got a little kid, a little five-year-old, and you have a stack of presents, and you have the parents and the siblings and two sets of grandparents. And she goes for the first present, opens it up, and when she sees what it is, then what, what comes next? You guys have seen this. Drops it and moves on to the next one, and then the next one. And her mother's over there, is over there going, say thank you to Grandma. Um, and it just you can just count on it. So when our little babies are born, um, they are by nature egocentric. They don't know of anything else but themselves, and they see their mom as the diaper changer and the milk provider and, uh, you know, a cuddly place to lay and... Um, by the time they get to nursery, Jeff and Jenny, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're still kind of self-centered a little bit maybe. That's my toy. I had it first. Bam, you know, I, I know that. I know that's what happens in that toddler nursery. So they're not out of that yet, but as they're getting older, we kind of start to expect that somewhere you've got to get out of yourself a little bit and recognize that your grandma over there just spent money and spent some time wrapping that. It doesn't matter grandma's feelings, I and mean, that's such a small point of it. But we want kid, we want children who don't see themselves as the center of the universe. Um, we know instinctively um, that that's a spiritually unhealthy person if they're allowed to grow up and they're not thankful for the things that people give to them. And we don't want to raise a spiritually unhealthy kids. So I don't think Jesus, uh, I don't think Jesus' feelings were hurt, but I know that he recognized. Of course, he did their spiritual dullness and their poverty as they walked away and didn't come back. Um, but they didn't need him anymore. Um, they got what they wanted out of the arrangement. And think about it this way, just opposite of the other guy. They had a brush with God, and all they got out of it was a healing of their leprosy. That's all they got. So um, that's, that's a pretty sad um, thing to think about. Uh, so we don't want to happen to them. 
they did probably did what they were told. I mean, they probably went to the priest and probably were reinstated. Probably went back to their old lives and their families, and and uh, probably their one thing they had in common was gone. So they probably didn't have class reunions or anything. And if they did, they wouldn't have invited the Samaritan because the old rules were back in force. He's still he's an outcast again. He's not one of us. Um, so we don't know what happened to him, but we do know the state of Israel at the time, don't we? Um, we talked about this in Sunday school. We talked about one out of ten, the, the number one out of ten, which uh, was basically it was a current um, statistic about the number of people who claim to be Christians and the number who actually have a Christian worldview. Um, but in this day, we we know about the crowds that Jesus attracted, and he attracted and attracted lots and lots of people. But over time, as his ministry went on, those crowds dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. Uh, to where one out of one out of ten would have been generous. It was less than that by the time they got to by the time he got to the end of his uh, ministry. They were there for what they could get from it, uh, but a deeper relationship was not anything they were interested in. We talked about this in Sunday school too. Pastor men- men- mentioned at the passage in uh, John um, where um, Jesus had been teaching about something difficult. And it said, um, from this day, many of his disciples, and these are disciples, this is not the 12, but this is the broader people that have been following him around. This isn't just the crowd. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he said to the 12, do you want to leave too? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, um, you know, that we don't know what came of these nine, but if they were representative of the nation of Israel, they got what they wanted and they were back back to business as usual. So when we talk about the high cost of ungratefulness with those people, um, you know, what was it? In the case of Israel, what was it? Well, they rejected their long-awaited Messiah. Um, very sad. And they actually crucified their Messiah. And then just a short time later, less than a generation later, um, the Romans had had enough of their rebellious heart and destroyed them and scattered them. You know, that was that was really um, the uh, price that they paid for not being grateful, for having the Messiah right in their midst, God right in their midst, and not um, not responding to him. Jesus said, um, you know this, you know this verse, when he was standing over the city of Jerusalem, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. And they were hidden from their eyes that day for sure. Um, so, anyway, so what good is a sermon if all we're going to do is talk about other people? That would just make us all puffed up and proud, right? We've got to bring it home now. Sorry. Um, but we've got to do this. Um, so we've seen what ungratefulness does to our culture, and we see in the passage of Scripture today what it what it did to the nation of Israel and these people. So what about us? Um, what about you? I'll just put it, make it very personal today. Um, are you looking for your relationship with Christ for what you can get out of it? Is that what you're here for? Um, is ungratefulness taking a toll on your life? Think about that one. Um, Paul David Tripp, some of you have read him. He put it this way. He said, I'm deeply persuaded that the root of our complaint or the root of our gratitude 
is the result of the way we view ourselves in our hearts. Um, he goes on to break that down a little bit more. He says, if I foolishly assume that I'm a good person, then I'll arrogantly assume that I'm a deserving person. I'll place myself in the center of my world and live with an I deserve attitude. Because I live with such a sense of entitlement, I'll develop an inflated and unrealistic sense of personal need. Because I have an inflated and unrealistic sense of personal need, I'll expect the situations, locations, and relationships of everyday life to focus their energy on serving what I have named as personal needs. But in my foolishness and arrogance, I've forgotten that this universe wasn't created to serve me. I'm not the center of its attention, despite what I wish to think. He goes on to say this, Well, what if, instead of assuming that I'm a good and deserving person, I view myself accurately through the lens of Scripture? The Bible tells me that everything in this universe was designed by and for the glory of God. That means this world, with all its created pleasures, was not meant to celebrate me. No, the created glories of this world are designed to be a a finger celebrating the Creator. In other words, I'm not the center of this narrative. On top of that, the Gospel tells me I'm not a good person. In fact, I'm a wicked person, and the only thing I deserve in this life is God's wrath. So if I remember that, in an act of outrageous grace, God turns His face of mercy and kindness towards me, that every good thing in my life is an undeserved blessing. Feelings of humility and thankfulness, rather than entitlement and disappointment, will fill my heart. So surely we all wrestle with this some, right? I'm not the only one. I hope. I hope not. Um, but I would just ask you this. There's just a few questions kind of ask yourself. This is just a little um, self-evaluation. You guys are going to get out really early today. So, right, I bet we will. He's keeping track. Um, just a few questions. Would the people who live nearest to me characterize me as a complaining person or a thankful person? When was the last time I sat down to literally count my blessings? How much time do I spend grumbling, moaning, and complaining about life? When I look at my world, Republicans, am I pessimistic about everything that's going wrong? I put the Republican in there. But I think we're all a little pessimistic, aren't we? Um, do I view myself as one who has been constantly shortchanged and neglected? Or as one who's been unbelievably showered with blessings? How often do I fill in the blank with grumbling like, if only I had blank or I wish blank was different? How often do I fill in the blank with gratitude like, I can't believe God has given me blank? Um, so if the answers to these are, are convicting, if you if you failed that test, um, there's always time for repentance. Um, and just think about think about the toll that ungratefulness is having on you personally, but also on the people around you, and especially the lost people around you that see you and see an ungrateful heart. Um, um, this isn't in the notes, but um, I think in our uh, Wednesday night study, Del Tackett raised the question, when's the last time someone asked you, right from Scripture, the reason for the hope that's within you? Well, they're not going to ask you for the hope that's within you if you have no hope and show no signs of any hope. Um, So let's be like that Samaritan leper. Um, How can the adversities of our life 
um, be what actually draws us into a, a closer relationship with Christ. I'm just going to close with a couple of verses, a couple of passages here. First um, Thessalonians 5:17 and 18. You know 5:17. Pray without ceasing. 18 is in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3:15 through 17, let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we just come humbly before you, and uh, we just thank you for this illustration from Scripture. And and, uh, I know in my own life, and I think we know uh, collectively that sometimes we are one of those nine who receive good things from you and walk away and don't show our gratitude and don't uh, use the opportunity to be drawn into a deeper relationship. And uh, I just pray this Thanksgiving season that our uh, gratitude is genuine and heartfelt, that we see even the difficulties of life as things that you've brought into our lives to uh, draw us closer to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.